my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of HR Sound Off. I am super excited to have this conversation today with our guest because, again, I feel like this is a very important topic for us to talk about, but I'll tell you a little bit about how I met our guest for today and why I'm so blown away by his message and what he has to say and why it's important. So our guest today is none other than Mr. Taran Ellis. I met Taryn at Innovate Work, which is a speaking engagement forum um, that was created by Bill Bannum, who was a guest on our show previously, friend to the show, as Wendy Williams would say, and in, met Taryn as he was one of the speakers and was completely blown away by his segment and what he had to say about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And there's a reason why I guess they saved Taryn for last um, because he really had a very important message and he's very eloquent about the way he puts it over. But I am done talking about Taryn. I'm going to give him a chance to talk, to talk to you and tell you all about himself. So Taryn, welcome to the show. You know, Julie, I absolutely thank you for trusting and having my voice. Uh, I, I, I really do. I appreciate each and every opportunity that I get to share a message, to be in conversation uh, to just really explore what it is that we do, how we do what we do, and and most importantly, how each of us shows up authentically in, in doing this work. I think that we are doing some incredible and important work. Absolutely. I don't compare it to, you know, I don't compare it to taking, um, you know, spaceships to the moon. Mm -hmm. I, I most certainly don't compare it to healthcare workers and the arduous and very, very vital uh, work that they are doing. But when I do believe and think about high performing teams and the people inside of organizations, despite the industry, no matter the geography, I know how important it is for people like HR, employer branding, talent acquisition. We just, we sit in a very important place. And so thank you for having me here. Uh, and the, the easiest uh, introduction is that I'm a diversity strategist, a risk mitigator, I have a show on Sirius uh, XM titled Career Mix. Mm -hmm. I have an incredible podcast uh, with my dear podcast partner, Julie Sowash, titled Crazy and the King. Mm -hmm. And I authored a book back in 2016 titled Rip the Resume. And, and as you said in your uh, description of who I am, I speak globally around diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sure, sure. telling us who you are. Now, tell us, what is your story? How did you get here? Why did this particular phase in your career lead you to this particular moment where you are right now? I'm going to answer it in two ways. I okay. might even hit a third. It just depends on how I break this Do your up. thing. Do your thing. <laughs> so what, what I will say in, in terms of entrepreneurship, what got me here is a lack of recognition and appreciation inside of corporate America. 
I was tired of building, um, you know, incredible individuals, promoting those individuals, yet being passed over for promotion myself. Right. I was tired of being told that I was too outspoken, too aggressive, too ambitious, mm-hmm. and yet leaned on to train other individuals that were coming into the organization and then watching those individuals ascend to different positions. Right. I was simply tired of what I deemed to be a lack of uh, appreciation and respect inside of corporate America. So in 1998, I started an agency recruiting firm with a dear friend of mine. Mm-hmm. If you ask me, how did I get to where we are right now? Yep. I got it because I was frustrated with watching corporate America continue to say that diversity and inclusion was important, but that representation wasn't there. Right. You know, I could look inside of organizations and the lower uh, the responsibility, the lower the compensation, mm-hmm. the higher the representation. Naturally, as we got higher, well, black and brown people were absent uh, in terms of representation and something just didn't sit right with me in that regard. I just Mm -hmm. found it hard to believe that we were not capable of being inside of leadership level roles, that we were not capable of being inside of C-suites, that we were not capable of sitting on boards of directors. And so in Mm -hmm. 2012, I put a flag in the ground and said, I'm going to to be a diversity strategist. I know how to build teams, Mm -hmm. but now I'm going to go in and help uh, other organizations optimize their talent acquisition process Mm -hmm. with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got to where we are right now. Right. The third way that I would say is that even uh, since 2012, we're talking eight years now, almost a decade, we've seen a minimal amount of progress. Mm-hmm. And so now where I am is I'm really operating. I operate differently. Yes, I can recruit. Yes, I provide strategy. But I'm chasing a different type of greatness at this particular point, Julie. I'm chasing something that says we can have a totally different narrative around D&I. Mm-hmm. We can have a ambitious and promising conversation. It may be uncomfortable. It may be a tad bit unsettling. If I do my job the way that I feel like I should do it, I should challenge you to wrestle with what it means to be human. Right. That's what I want to see happen. Yeah. People to wrestle with, you know, if I really say that I care about people, Mm -hmm. if I really, really care about uh, all types of individuals, Mm -hmm. then am I doing all that I possibly can as it relates to developing and inspiring and motivating and bringing them in mm-hmm. to our organization. And if I'm not, then what do I need to do differently? I want right. to challenge people to think, how do we do what it is that we say we love to do it differently? differently. So I think I'm in that third iteration, yeah. who I am in the talent acquisition space. Wow, that is so powerful. And you know, I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm thinking to myself, that we're kind of in a very similar space because my focus now based on my journey is on the people experience. If I really care about people, I want to care about the experiences that they're having in the workplace and how I can make that better and how I can challenge leaders to make that better. And so hearing you speak, I almost feel like we're in almost like a similar space. You're talking about diversity and inclusion and equality, and I'm talking about the entire employee experience and why it matters and why leaders need to care about it, especially now. And 
challenge people to understand what it means to be a human being and to put humans first. Yeah. And, and you know, Julie, if I could jump in, I, I think mm -hmm. about that employee experience piece and I think about it in, in the context of not so much so on the front end, because we do a great job of that employee, well, not all of us, not wholesale, but certainly most organizations do a great job on the front end. That onboarding experience tends to be great. First several weeks tends to be great. The, the honeymoon themselves, they have that honeymoon and so yeah. they're trying to build their way through. Mm -hmm. So they don't necessarily notice the things that may possibly be an impediment yeah. to that experience. Yeah. You know, our nose is down. So what, what, what I think about when I think about employee experience is the front end, that middle, and when I say middle, Julie, I think that middle, I think the, the onboarding experience should go 12 to 18 months and not just three. I think that onboarding experience should be yeah. very much so. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Like and then the inside of that, the, the ending of that employee experience is where all of us come in. You know, how do we reshape? How do we have more innovation around that experience? So let me give you an example. Uh-huh. When I think about employee experience, I think about women. And just last month, August, uh, we had uh, Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know what that is, I won't take up Julie's time, but I'll let you go and research what is Black Women's Equal Pay Day, yeah. what is Women's Equal Pay Day, and what is Latina Women's Equal Pay Day. Mm -hmm. Well, because we have these three different mile markers throughout the year, Right. From an innovative standpoint, what would the experience be like if we developed a new benefit package for women that allowed them to invest a little more aggressively so that they can make up some of that uh, lack of compensation over the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years mm -hmm. of their working career? Mm -hmm. How can we be more aggressive and more innovative in what we provide women in terms of benefits. That's what I think about when I think of employee experience. Absolutely. I kind of agree. I got to agree with you. I mean, I think I've worked in organizations where the onboarding process has been that same 12 to 18 months with various check-ins. And I feel like that's important, but I also feel like the onboarding process is continuous as you're developing people's careers throughout the organization. I think employee experience for me ends if I've ended the relationship with the person. And, and how does that experience, how is that experience for them in the exit interview process in if I'm letting them go and I'm um, either laying them off, furloughing them with a view to bringing them back, then the employee experience should continue. I believe in that because if I'm bringing you back, you still need to experience me or the organization while you're home. Um, and, and then a lot of what I'm hearing is that's not happening. From an, yeah. from an HR perspective, which I'm, I'm very disappointed in if that's the case, yeah. you know? And then I also think that the experience for me ends when you're gone, when you're completely gone. If I haven't burned my bridge with you and there's a view that I could possibly re-employ you, then I think the experience continues. It's just a little more staggered. That's an interesting position, but not one that I would take issue with. You mm -hmm. know, what you are mm -hmm. talking about are true relationships. Yes. And you measure that relationship or you may deploy or distill that relationship at, at, in different increments, if you yeah. will, different dosages, if you will. Mm -hmm. But my point is, or your point is, mm -hmm. maintain the relationship. Maintain the relationship. Very similar to having 
5,000, 10,000 contacts inside yeah. of our phone. You don't talk to those individuals all the if time, but there are some that you can talk to, uh, you haven't talked to in a year and you can get on and it's like, we were just on yesterday. Like exactly. nothing has been lost. Nothing has been lost. What you're saying is relationship, yes. pre-relationship. Yes. I like that. I yes. love it. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about what it is that you're doing right now. So for those of us in the Caribbean, particularly where a lot of my audience sits, we're now having that conversation surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion. What is it that you do in the easiest terms that you could explain and why does it matter for organizations? So I mean, in, in terms of what I do, uh, in let diversity, me just your diversity strategy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let me just focus on the strategy piece. Yeah. So that tends to be deployed bottom up or top down. Mm -hmm. From a bottom up approach, I'm focused on talent acquisition and the various direct and indirect aspects of that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so largely around, you know, the hiring managers, the interview process, the employer brand, the messaging sequence, the academic footprint technology stack that's in place. It's really about a forensic discovery of what is going on at the bottom or through talent acquisition as mm -hmm. it relates to building the team. How can we plus or minus their efforts? I don't go into an engagement, Julie, and suggest that people are, 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 are nefarious or that they're not uh, skilled, incompetent. Right. I go in with the benefit of the doubt right. that every single person on your TA team is highly qualified, extremely effective. They just need to have a bit of calibration. Mm -hmm. We go in and try to find those points where the calibration can be uh, administered mm -hmm. and we can do a better job of DNI. Right. That's bottom up. Okay. Top down, I go into the organization with the focus on the C-suite, the board of directors, and those that are in leadership mm -hmm. because far too often what we find is that they are walking around with a tranquilizer of procrastination, of pause in their forearm. Mm -hmm. I rip that tranquilizer out. Yeah. Bottom line, we pull it out. We don't even necessarily put a Band-Aid on it. We just pull it out and we start to talk about what's going, you know, what's it going to look like on this journey for you to do a better job from this level going down. Because what we know is that if the leadership is not supportive of DNI efforts, they're not going to, they will absolutely die on the vine, as we say. Mm -hmm. And so what I know is that we have to get leadership to be committed to be willing to model, to be a participant. We need to get leadership engaged in the work that is being done. You can go to the fundraisers. You can go out and play golf uh, if that's what it is that you all do. You can go to your shareholder meetings and other powwow sessions with other executives. You can mm -hmm. do that, mm -hmm. but you can also, you can also work with your talent acquisition and driving the importance of DNI all the way through the organization so that most people in the organization, I'm not Pollyannish, but most people in the organization, when they hear a message from leadership, they tend to say, well, that's what's important. Well, we need to make sure that leadership is driving that message of importance. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. Bottom up, talent mm -hmm. acquisition focus or top down mm -hmm. leadership focus. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about that top down leadership focus. Because I think a lot of people, especially now with everything that's happening as a result of the death of George Floyd and, and, and death, death of black men and women in America 
is not at the hands of the police is not uncommon. Something changed when George Floyd, Floyd died to make people decide we really don't want to deal with this anymore and, and the police need to do better. From a company perspective, I saw a lot of people and a lot of organizations make the effort to say, we want to do better. How do we do better? And they look to their diversity people. They look to their human resources people and said, let's try to figure out how we, how we do better. From a top-down perspective, what is your message in the height of everything that's happening now to organizations on how they can do better? Yeah, so uh, it's real simple. I try to give, you know, just actionable, simple steps that any organization can take advantage of. Industry agnostic, again, ge geographic, um, you know, uh, considerations are not really important. What I say is that every organization's leaders, number one, need to make a declarative statement around the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm -hmm. That statement has to come from leadership. Now, if they wanna share that statement externally, being more transparent, Julie, fine, knock your socks off. Mm -hmm. Post it up on social media, place it on your website so that visitors and others can take a look at it. Take out a page in the, one of the major publications, whether it be a newspaper or a magazine, go on a radio show and make that declaration so that millions of people can hear. You can come on my show on Sirius XM and we can talk about it, absolutely willing to blast it out. You can be external right. and transparent, mm -hmm. but at minimum, you have to be internal. A right. declarative statement, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, what they have to do is be willing to reallocate resources. That's headcount and dollars, mm -hmm. not just headcount. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to just go and hire a chief diversity officer. Right. I don't need you to just go and hire a director of diversity and inclusion programming or effort. Mm -hmm. No, I need you to allocate dollars. If you look at the report that Russell Reynolds did in March of 2018, mm -hmm. uh, and it had something to do with, I can't remember the title, I should as much as I refer to it, but it talks about finding your next chief diversity officer. Okay. If you look at that report by Russell Reynolds, March or April of 2018, mm -hmm. you will see a glaring statistic that says most, most chief diversity officers are underfunded and under-resourced. Mm -hmm. So I don't need you to just simply put a person in role. I need you to make provisions so that they have the funding, the dollars, the budget that suggests that this work is important. Mm -hmm. It's gotta match up to what you are saying. Too often in the past, we've said something or they've said something, but the actions don't live up to what it is that they were saying. Right. So a declarative statement, holding, I'm sorry, reallocation of uh -huh. uh, uh, resources. And mm -hmm. last but not least, you got to hold people accountable. It's not that hard. Yeah. Just hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. Larry Fink in his shareholder uh, message from December of 2018, Larry Fink is the CEO of BlackRock. Mm -hmm. He said in that shareholder letter, that this organization is not going to look in five years the way that it looks today. Right. And because we know that, we must make DNI an important and measurable, measurable 
aspect of how you lead. Mm -hmm. So I am now holding you as leaders accountable. Mm -hmm. I said like this, been saying that for more than a decade. Yeah. I'm glad to see people like Larry Fink and others to say the same. Yeah. So if you don't have a declarative statement, if you're not willing to shift the, the resources internally in the organization and you are not willing to hold people accountable, then you have a failed DNI effort. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I'm just listening to you again and I'm thinking like from a Caribbean perspective, I know like a lot of organizations and while we are predominantly where black is the majority in our Caribbean islands, we do have other, we do, we do have a diverse culture and we do have people of different colors and nationalities as well. And that means a lot of our organizations are heavily still um, with white people as the shareholders or as the board of directors. If you look at some of the organizations and their board of directors, they are old white men, no women, all white, still sitting and existing in, even in our countries where the black is a majority, they're still holding those roles. And so I want to encourage everyone to, to recognize the importance of starting at the top and being accountable and rolling that down. So I want to thank you for sharing that information. And I hope corporate Caribbean will strive to do better for sure. And let me just say this, Julie, it's not a zero sum game. No, you know, we're not suggesting that because you spend more time um, focusing on black and brown talent, because you make way, you usher in, you sponsor, you support black and brown talent, LGBTQIA talent, people with disabilities, whether it be a neuro dis, uh, uh, disability mm -hmm. or some other disability. Mm -hmm. Because you spend extra time focused on these underrepresented, marginalized groups of people, does not mean that you are going to lose something. Because you expand your board from 11 people to 13 people, and the two additional people come from a marginalized or underrepresented group, does yeah. not mean that you're going to lose something. Mm -hmm. It simply says that we are committed to doing what we know is best for our business. And yeah. so yeah. I just want to remind and encourage people that diversity and inclusion is a beautiful thing. It's yeah. art. Yeah. It's art. It's humanity. Mm -hmm. It's not punishment. No. It's beauty. It's Absolutely. beauty. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're all here on this earth in our colors, our cultures, our variety. We are all here. And we all need to live. We all need to work. And so why is it so hard for us to just focus on the work experience? What makes it so difficult? What seems so cut and dry? I mean, for children, why is it not so cut and dry for adults? It's a very good question. I mean, again, I don't know how to answer that, you know, because uh, I'm not a person who thinks like someone who has uh, these degrees of, let me, let me try to protect this statement in a way that is, is pure. Um, I struggle with saying this. I don't have supremacist views. Let me say that. Right. I don't have racist views. Mm -hmm. I don't operate as a supremacist. Right. 
I don't operate as a racist. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to speak through that lens. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to speak through the lens of uh, feeling as if, if I make way, if I introduce, if I support other people mm -hmm. that I'm going to lose in the end. It, I don't operate with that lack. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes. You know, there certainly are, you know, I, I want to make, you know, money and, and, and be successful or, or have results and grow the business mm -hmm. like anybody else. But, mm -hmm. but what I'm saying is that I just don't operate and know how those individuals operate. So yeah. I can't speak to that. I don't know why, I don't know why the president of the United States, you know, would, um, uh, recently say that that diversity training is uh, un-American and divisive. Mm. I, I don't know why he would say that, especially given everything that we've seen up, up until now, not even just the George Floyd, but certainly the various infractions that we've seen through the summer of 2020. I don't know what would make a, a, a the, the, one of the most powerful men in the world to say that diversity and inclusion training is divisive and un-American. Mm -hmm. I don't know what would make a person say that. Yeah. So it's hard for me to respond to that. Okay. I, I understand where you're coming from. I'm just thinking like, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but a couple of years back, um, spoken word, a guy that does spoken word, his name is Prince EA. And he did a spoken word on, I am not black. He's a black guy, but he did a spoken word on, I am not black. And essentially what he was saying is that I'm human first and foremost. Therefore, beyond my color, beyond my everything else, I'm a human being. Can you see me as that first and foremost and focus on what I bring to the table versus my color versus everything else see me as a human being first and foremost yeah well you know it reminds me of uh when dr king was supporting the sanitation workers and i believe that was in the 68 you know when in memphis tennessee you had black men walking around with a sign that said i am a man period mm -hmm. i am a man mm -hmm. and so when you juxtapose that against some of the other uh, video footage and imagery that we saw from the 60s. And I'm just going with the 60s. I'm not talking yeah. anything forward. Mm -hmm. Coming, you know, forward, uh, before the 60s, but coming towards where we are now in 2020, right. you look at some of the, the infractions and some of the imagery and why is it that we are still having these conversations? Why is mm -hmm. it that you are able to talk about from the Caribbean what is happening to black and brown men in the streets of the U.S.? Mm -hmm. We don't want, I don't, why, why are you seeing that in the Caribbean? Yeah. Why is that what's being portrayed in, uh, across the media globally? Yeah. Why? So certainly we have some issues that we need to address. Mm -hmm. uh, I absolutely believe that it's uh, a combination of personal responsibility and public policy, mm -hmm. but I'm willing to do my part. I'm willing to absolutely show up and do my part. So I just feel like we can, we can do a far better job yeah. as that poet, uh, that essayist, that spoken word artist said, I am a man. Mm -hmm. 
perfect. I don't think I could have said it any better. So, in, as I said, we're in the Caribbean. All over the world, people are recognizing the importance of doing better from a diversity and inclusion, inclusion perspective and equality perspective. But now let's talk about organizations in the Caribbean that are predominantly, we don't have a talent department separate and distinct. We don't have a diversity department separate and distinct. It's mainly a bunch of HR generalists just trying to get through the day. How can we as HR generalists without any separate functions assist our organizations as if we did have that diversity and inclusion? How do we bring that to the table as HR generalists just trying to make our organizations better? So I think I think it's important that we should start with a question first, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think inside of the respective organization, people have to ask who's missing. You know, when you look around, who's missing? Who is not represented in our organization? And don't do that wholesale. Do that by department. Do that by business unit. Do that by role. Who's missing? Mm -hmm. Who's missing? Do that by function. Who's missing? We talk often about data. Data being so important. Fine. Parse the data in a way that answers the question, who's missing? Mm -hmm. And then when we see who is missing, you know, be it, at the lower level, middle level, senior level, mm -hmm. then we start to devise as HR, start to make recommendations, devise that we spend a little extra time in our recruiting team building efforts in that way. Yeah. Let's address who's missing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say or suggest that we, we don't recruit uh, good people that have come through. It just simply says, why am I going to continue to invest dollars in this advertising or messaging medium? Mm -hmm. Why am I going to continue to invest dollars at this particular uh, event or institution? Mm -hmm. Why would I continue to do what I have historically been doing if in fact I want something different? If I want to attract who's missing, mm -hmm. then let me find ways to be in front of who's missing. Mm -hmm. What are their messaging platforms? Mm -hmm. What are the events and institutions that they support or can be found at? Mm -hmm. Where can we network with them? Mm -hmm. Let's shift some of those dollars. HR has got to make that recommendation, if you will. Let's reallocate those dollars, that attention, that effort, that energy, that interest, that curiosity. Let's shift all of that in a way that addresses who's missing. This work is not difficult. Right. It's difficult, but it's not insurmountable. Right. It's not uh, undecipherable. Mm -hmm. Like we really understand two plus two plus two is six. We, we get that. There, right. There's nothing magical about what okay. it is we do. Yeah. You don't have women in the organization, get in front of women. You don't have uh, Muslims in the organization, get in front of Muslims. Mm -hmm. If you don't have this audience in get in front of this audience. Yeah. It's not that difficult. Mm -hmm. So even as HR, HR people are not historically known for being the best recruiters, the most aggressive recruiters. HR people are historically known as being reactionary or policy administrative laden mm -hmm. or interested. I get it. Yeah. But if you want to start to have a more proactive, more aggressive conversation, if you want to be more seen more as a value to the business, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, not a 
cost center, but a right. profit center. Yeah. Then let's start having a different conversation and let's start with the question of who's missing. Mm -hmm. And once we say who's missing, then we can start to put a plan in place to go after them. Awesome. I think that makes perfect sense in terms of why it is that we need to make sure we ask that question, who is missing? But then also using our data in the way that we are able to account for those people and bring them to the table and look at how we recruit and how we manage our talent differently. But we don't want this to be a tick the box exercise. The whole purpose of our doing this is that ultimately we want to have full representation of every culture across the table because that's important. With that then comes learning, with that then comes understanding, with that then comes growth. And that's the whole purpose of why we want to make sure that we are diverse, that we are inclusive in our, in our organizations. I thank you for bringing that to the table and explaining that for us. It's a scary thing, Taryn, at the end of the day, especially if you are an HR department of one or five, but you're just HR generalist. How do you spark that conversation with your leadership to say, listen, we need to do better. This is what I'm recognizing. This is, these are who, this is who's missing. How do we even engage to have that conversation with our leadership? You just did. Uh, and again, I just think that for far too long, we've been silent. You know, the reason why we, um, you know, going back to your point around George Floyd earlier in the summer, and we can list a number of other individuals, unfortunately. Yeah. But going back to George Floyd, we got to this point of social unrest, in my opinion, because we've been far too silent when these injustices have happened throughout mm -hmm. history. Mm -hmm. We haven't had enough people speaking up. And so when I say the number one step for individuals, if you want to be supportive of DNI, you have to feel empowered. You have to be willing to find your voice and use it. Yeah not enough to have a voice, you have to use it. And as mm -hmm. my dear uh, brother Cornell West says, not an echo, I want your voice. Mm -hmm. I don't want you parroting and repeating mm -hmm. something that you heard someone else say. Right. I want to hear your voice. So mm -hmm. as that team of one, as that team of three or five, I want you all collectively raising your voice internally saying, we can't keep doing what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. And I want to challenge you and us to do different and better mm -hmm. or better and different. Mm -hmm. You got to find your voice. Yeah. So it's not hard. Again, yeah. it's not some rocket science formula. There's no fairy dust that needs to be sprinkled on your cell phone to make you sound a little bit different. No one needs to say a prayer or a seance over your forehead to make you sound. No, just speak up. Mm -hmm. Like we are not doing a good enough job of attracting uh, uh, underrepresented talent. We need to do better. Mm -hmm. What are you committed to doing? Mm -hmm. Are you committed to help me? Period. That's what we have to say. And what I know in this work, you know, Julie, is that for some, you're going to experience sacrifice. Mm -hmm. You're going to find yourself in organizations where they absolutely don't care. Mm -hmm. You have to ask yourself, is this the organization that you I want to continue to contribute to? Yes. Personally, I want to see organizations that don't care about inclusion and representation go out of business. Mm -hmm. Some say that's a real aggressive and that's mean and that's mean spirited. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you say. Mm -hmm. I want to see people and organizations that do not care about inclusion and representation fail. I want to see them go out of business. Mm -hmm. 
I want to see them just like organizations that didn't shift like a Xerox. Think about the Xerox machine or you think about some of the Kodak, our, our, our camera company yes. over the years. They mm -hmm. didn't shift fast enough. Think about Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. Blockbuster didn't shift fast enough. Mm -hmm. They didn't keep up. Mm -hmm. Think about some of our black magazines like Essence and Ebony. They didn't shift and keep up. So they struggled. Mm -hmm. That's a part of business. Yeah. Well, I absolutely say that if you are not concerned with inclusion and representation, that's a part of business and I want to see you fail as well. Mm -hmm. Period. That's, that's no apology. Completely no pause. I'm doubling down 10x on it. Anytime I can get into an organization, if I find people that are operating in nefarious ways, they are not supportive of DNI efforts, I want to see them fail and be put out of the business. Plain and simple. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here from Karen Ellis. We have to be accountable. We have to do better. Have to be better when it comes to DNI. Taryn, tell us, what are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you want to share with our audience and you think they should do the same? So I'm looking, I got like five books on my desk. So one right now <laughs> is uh, Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad, L-A-Y-L-A, Saad, S-A-A-D. She actually lives uh, in Qatar right now, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Uh -huh. Beautiful uh, individual talking about, you know, just how do you navigate and move through supremacy. So I'm reading that particular book. Right. Uh, I just received another one in the mail. Uh, I have some great friends. This one came from one of my listeners of Sirius XM, a book titled Brain Gain. So I don't even know exactly what this one is. It's about uh -huh. innovative cities and, and whatnot. So I haven't gotten into that one yet. I haven't cracked it open. Okay. Uh, I mean, I have so many that I'm, I'm always grabbing something. I might read a chapter or two, put it down. I might read the back of the book, just the end of it. Yeah. Uh, and then jump back to the beginning. Like I moved through a lot of books. Yeah. What I think is important, Julie, is, is that I'm always submitting myself to somebody else's materials. Uh -huh. You know, and again, I said it a moment ago, finding your own voice, not parody. Yeah. But in that process of finding your own voice, I think it is absolutely vital and critical that we are continuing to read and submit ourselves to some of the thoughts and thinking and processes of other people. And so I'm always finding myself in a posture of, can I read to learn something new and different? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I have a friend who always says you should learn something new every day. And he commits to like reading something or learning something new every day. I am a TEDx girl. <laughs> well, well now, li listen, there's nothing wrong with TEDx. I, I love TED Talks. I absolutely am watching TED Talks, but I want to get to another book uh -huh. real quick. You're not expecting this. Okay. But you're writing one, so I am <laughs> absolutely. Why don't you plug yours real quick? Just let because you may have some new listeners or new viewers, and they may not necessarily know that you're working on a book. So yes. now is a great place for you to plug your book. I thank you so much for that. <laughs> so my book, which Taryn has pre-ordered, is Confessions of an HR Pro: Stories of Defeat and Triumph. And I, I wrote this book because it's the book I wish I had when I started HR and it's the book that I'm glad that I'm going to have as I continue my journey. And it's a story of all the things that I've gone through as it relates to being in an H in the HR role, dealing with leaders, good and bad, dealing with talent and the experience of the candidate onboarding every possible thing that you could think of. I am talking about in this book, DE and I, 
why it's important, experience. And actually, when I wrote the chapter, I just finished the chapter on diversity and inclusion. And it's so funny. I wrote this chapter based on experiences that my mother and my grandmother had um, as members of the Windrush generation in the UK. And just sitting down writing it, I actually wrote that chapter half of the time in tears. And I came at it from the perspective of just listening to them tell me their stories of moving from Barbados to the UK to, you know, create a legacy for me, for my cousins, for my aunts and uncles, and the things that they experienced from hearing white people ask them to show them their tail because they heard black people were monkeys, to being called gollywogs, to being told not to walk on the same side of the road as, as them. Um, and my own personal experience that I had at the tender age of 11 years old with a girl who told me not to walk on the same side of the road as her when the bus stop was on her side of the road. That was a huge challenge for me. And I talked about a lot of those things, but I came at the, the, the situations that my mother and my grandmother went through from the perspective of where was HR when they were experiencing those things and for them to talk to, for them to, you know, nowhere. They were nowhere. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. They were there. They were complicit. That, that's where HR was. If, if, in fact, we had that title of a department or someone in that position, yeah, exactly. even without the title, they, Julie, were complicit. Mm -hmm. You think about we having or our experiencing the Me Too and the Time's Up um, period that we've been in over the last two, three years. Where was HR? Complicit. Mm-hmm taking care of the organization mm -hmm. and not the people. Mm -hmm. They were complicit. Yeah. So that's the reason why your mother, your grandmother, look at that. You're writing on people 30, 40 years ago, yeah. experiencing exactly what we're experiencing now. Mm -hmm. And yet I have people on Facebook and other platforms that will tell me that our president saying that DNI training is not um, uh, divisive and uh, un-American is a good stance for him to take. That we don't see racism, that we don't see uh, inequity in the system, that, that there's no... I got people in HR now who want to yell, all lives matter. And you think I'm going to go back and forth trying to convince them? Definitely not. Why we are saying Black Lives Matter? Mm -hmm. No. No. I'm not wasting my energy and my breath. I'm not going to let you run over me. I'm not going to let you railroad me. Yeah. But I'm not going to allow you to bring me and rope me into some public back and forth of your um, conscientious stupidity. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm not doing that. But yeah. I'm happy that you wrote a book. Sad that you had to recount the stories of your mother and your grandmother, but happy that you wrote a book and I'm happy that I supported it. Thank you so much. Yep. So Confessions of an HR Pro, Stories of Defeat and Triumph will be out Q1 2021, all, being, all things being equal. We are getting there. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yes. So can you tell these beautiful people listening to this podcast where they can find you on social media? Yeah, across all of social media at Torin Ellis. That's T-O-R-I-N-E-L-L-I-S as in Sam, at Torin Ellis across all of social media. I tend to use four platforms, Facebook, Instagram, 
uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. I use yeah. Facebook the least of the four, yeah. but those are the four that I'm on. Okay, that's great. Same four as me, so all good. And I totally, what is it? Why don't you use Facebook as much? Like, I mean, I have to ask this question because I mean, a lot of people use these platforms for different reasons. I, I understand why we all use LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Twitter for me is about getting feedback from my peers and understanding what they're going through. Uh, what is it for you about Facebook that makes it a little different in terms of where you interact? Is that where your customers are least or your clients are least? What is that for you? Yeah, I, I think in part, it is what you just said a moment ago, you know, when it comes to demand generation and business development, uh, I, I just find that in my uh, cadre of, of connections, mm -hmm. most of those individuals are not in a decision-making capacity. Uh, and so, it, and it's not that everything is about commerce right. for me. That's not the case. Uh -huh. but, but in part, you know, because of the demands of my day and how my uh, hours are, sh you know, kind of spread across the various platforms. Right. It's, Facebook to me tends to be the one that is least business and more personal. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just don't have as much time to, to do the personal as I used to maybe right. three, five years ago. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And with that, Karen, you have survived your time in the sound booth. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. All things diversity, equality, and inclusion, why it is important, why we need to do better, who we need to hold accountable, and how we can do it, whether we're a department of one or a department of five, whether we have talent acquisition or diversity and inclusion department, we can still get this done the conversations that we can have and how we can make it easier for ourselves. Thank you for that brief template, that snapshot of how we can get it done. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Thank you, my friend, for being here today. Absolutely appreciate it. Thank you for trusting my voice. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again in the next sound off.